Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Craig Finn of The Hold Steady is the kind of songwriter who is constantly described as literary. He's a wordsmith. I guess it's no surprise that when he and I settled in to talk, we wound up discussing um, a few different books. We kind of spun off into conversations about different uh, literary favorites of ours. He is someone I really admire because he places such an emphasis on the story, on the words. I was supposed to record a wheels-off conversation with him just before the pandemic. We were going to try and do something live at a venue in Brooklyn, a proper event, a live podcast taping. That used to be a thing. It didn't happen for all the obvious reasons. Since then, he and I have both had to navigate, oh, you know, a new world. It was great getting to hear how he's doing. It was great getting to hear about his his new podcast. That's how I remember it. I'm really lucky to get to have friends that I admire like I do Craig Finn. I, I feel like I'm inspired constantly when I talk to these, these um, peers and you know, co-workers, contemporaries. He's a great one. He's uh, the perfect wheels-off guest because uh, the way he is able to communicate his deep thoughts about creativity, the creative life, the way he places such an emphasis on living a creative life. So I'm really grateful that he is willing to appear as my guest on this newest wheels-off. Please welcome Craig Finn. Welcome to Wheels Off, Craig Finn. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is great. And uh, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you logging in? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Nice. And, uh, you know, it's funny because we, we we talked about doing this a long time ago. And, uh, it was before the pandemic. And I was in my, uh, for years, I was in this very, like, I only like doing things in person. You know, like that was like kind of my way. I always felt if I did things in person, they went better. So I remember we were trying to figure out a way to do it in person. And then the pandemic happened. We (laughs) all got used to uh, not being exactly in person. And Zoom's become very comfortable for me. I I feel like um, I'm not, I don't have Zoom fatigue. A lot of people do, but I'm like, can we not do a phone call? I'd rather see your face, you know? There's something really sweet about it because it's at least the facade of, of normalcy. Do you remember, mm-hmm. did you ever read, uh, it's it's a book that now seems problematic to some people, but the David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. 
Did you yeah. ever tackle that? Yeah, I don't. And yeah, I did. Um, I and I loved it. I don't. I'm not sure. I totally get the problematic part, but um, me either. Um, but but it is it is may, maybe I think it's male, right? I it's, mean, it's considered a real dude bro book. Bro, that um, the word bro is the problem. But he I think predicted bro, all this. Well, yeah, I mean, it also it's kind of like it it's it's you know it's gravity rainbow gravity's mm-hmm. rainbowness of um crushing it you know crushing the mountain that it is i think leads to some sort of chest puffing right um but i i love that book me too but it was funny because i remember at the time not really being able to imagine a world where we were all constantly on video calls and and people wound up having self-image issues because of it and that there it was right there this is funny this is funny so um Last night, I went out to dinner with a friend, and I was thinking, uh, her name's Anne-Marie Cruz, or was, she has a a different name now, but I met her, I believe this first time I met you, was we did a panel together at CMJ, and she was the moderator, and we were talking about this exact same thing last night at dinner, and um, I was mentioning David Foster Wallace, they found an an old interview, that that sort of was in the on the tapes, you know. I forget which station in Boston, and they put it up. Um, it's 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 now they put it up like eight years ago now or something. But he was saying, you know, uh, and he was talking about the internet, and it's probably like ninety five when he's talking, and he's like, the "Thing about this thing is, it's going to get bigger and better and faster, and they're going to start serving up images to us." that are going to be more and more realistic and we're going to start to have a hard time, you know, figuring out what's real and what's not. And, you know, that was pretty prescient for 1995. When he always talked about his biggest addiction, because people speculated that it was heroin or whatever was entertainment, right? It was, he, he couldn't stop watching TV. (laughs) It's in that book. uh, Yeah. You end up becoming yourself. It's that it's where he went on the tour and uh, which actually that movie um, is pretty good. It's kind of good. I didn't expect it, that. Yeah, I did, it, you had low ex- expectations, <laughs> but it was really pretty good. Jason Siegel. And uh, uh, he talks about that, like, like that he kind of like he would have an addict's um, relationship with television. And, you know, it'd be like start with like being in a hotel room and turning it on and then being like, because he didn't have, sorry, he didn't have that at home or maybe, you know, so it would be like just a treat. And then it would just go out of control, which is so funny because like, I can't, I, you know, you have addictions that people have that you empathize with and you're like, wow, I, I can turn off the TV. (laughs) Good. Well, I'm glad you brought it back to you because this is not about David Foster Wallace or anyone else. It's, it's just Craig Finn. And I'm wondering, um, we were talking off air beforehand about your new podcast, and I really want to hear about that. And that might be the answer to this first question, but I wonder what creative project, Craig, are you working on right now and how does it light you up? Well, I'm working on a bunch and I, I found in my, you know, in after years, I'm almost 51 years old, that having a bunch at once is helpful for me. But the podcast has really been um, one that's exciting me right now. So I started it, I, I made this record called um, A Legacy of Rentals, and it talks a lot about how we remember people. Um, so th- there was this whole process of making the record that, um, I kind of wanted to expand upon and that that is going back um you know whole city played 
three shows in London, March, I think there were six, seven and eight in 2000. So right under the, the wire in pandemic, you know, we got to Heathrow, we flew home and there was like 30 people on our flight, Heathrow to JFK. And it was like, this is on, right? So um, on that flight, I got a text that my friend Brian Dilworth had passed away and he passed away suddenly. Um, and, um, and he was a really close friend. So that was kind of shocking. And then we got back to, um, so it's still processing that we get back to New York and you know, the pandemic goes on. Now my partner, Angie is a nurse. Um, she gets called in to work directly with COVID patients. Our apartment's kind of an open floor plan. So I have to move out. Uh, so I move in with her sister and their family. Um, and I start, I'm like, oh, here we are. I'm going to start writing songs. You know, I always kind of writing songs, but I kind of was like, this is going to be like a, an intensive songwriting thing. And I was struggling with Brian's passing because um, all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, we, we couldn't, there couldn't be a service, you know, there couldn't be a, uh, you know, um, as much, and I think that does help people, um, um, you know, kind of come to terms with their grief, et cetera. So I kind of was thinking a lot about how do we memorialize people and how do we, how do we carry stories and memories on? Meanwhile, there's this pandemic raging, which is this feeling of that I haven't felt before. You know, I mean, like you are in Brooklyn, you're, you know, there people are washing their groceries and stuff. And like, you don't know at this point, there's information. You don't know that it's airborne or, um, you know, on doorknobs or whatever. And, um, and it, it's this very eerie feeling. There's sirens going all the time. And I keep thinking like, how are we going to remember this? I mean, it felt like those times in your life when you don't have an easy emotion to access because you haven't felt that way before. And that was definitely one of those. Um, so I'm struggling with all this and I'm writing all these songs, not directly about any of this, but the, this idea of memorializing people keeps coming up and, and, and remembering things and, and story and getting stories right and building, building stories, um, building on stories, um, building on memories that sometimes are false and can kind of change the story or you know, make you live a story that's not exactly accurate. And then um, in May that year, um, the George Floyd murder happened. And um, that's my hometown, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And watching, you know, um, that and then the protests and riots that followed was very um, moving to me. Um, and I was pretty obsessive about that. And then again, this day and age, um, you can kind of plug into kind of like these underground reporters who are like streaming stuff from their cameras and like, you're, you're in it, you know, um, although you're sitting there in Brooklyn. Um, and, and I was kind of fascinated by that, seeing things um, that I was very familiar with, places I'd been hundreds of times and, you know, being burned or, or certainly being um, uh, protest outside. And, 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 you know, you grew up in a smaller town like that. You're not used to seeing your, you know, your, your hometown on the national news night after night after night after night, you know, CNN. 24 hours. We're in Minneapolis, you know? Um, so all of that got me thinking a lot about memory. And so I wanted to keep these conversations going. That's basically how the podcast started. So um, that's how I remember it was a line from the record. And um, I just was like, I, once I kind of got thinking about that, I started to see this thread in a lot of people's work and um, wanted to see how they built their own experience. Because you know, a lot, a lot of songwriters, uh, I'm sure yourself are not always confessional. I think there's this, this, um, 
this expectation that it's like this happened to me so i wrote a song about it so a lot of people yourself included are writing fiction but details you know details are showing up from your real life and i mean i think like you know i'm not a car guy so like i don't know the names of a lot of cars but like you know an Altima shows up in a song I wrote because like that was the Uber that picked me up and it said, look for an Altima, you know? And I was like, Oh, that's a car. I, I, I kind of know what that looks like, you know? And so these things kind of populate the, um, the details. And one of the, I mean, one of the things I'm finding is like, uh, I just had my friend, but who's a really accomplished screenwriter, Edward Kitsis on, we're talking, it's kind of like, okay, he writes a lot of, you know, uh, fantasy and science fiction and things. It's like, all right, so I don't have experience with a dragon or, you know, smoke monster or whatever it is. However, when I go to show what the little boy's room is like, there's a twins poster above his bed because that's how, you know, or something like that. You know, you, these details get populated, I think, in all genres by our memories and our experiences. And it's funny because I, I, I mean, I, I think you're like me. One of the reasons I love your songwriting is that it's built on details. Yeah, I've always kind of gravitated towards, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I, I love details in songs. Have you ever seen like um, sometimes unsolicited Twitter advice? You see like <laughs> songwriting rules, not like directed at me, but like sometimes you'll see like, here's the rules of songwriting. And it's like, don't do details, you know, or don't do hard, only do no slant rhymes or something like that. And you're like, what? I mean, that's uh but yeah i think i think people think that's uh i you know i guess a lot of those songwriting rules you see like that are like if you want to have a big hit on country radio oh, um, okay yeah yeah that said when i've listened to country music modern country there are a lot of brand names in there i guess that's my maybe oh my a more God. commercial version of details <laughs> yeah. yeah i was on a songwriting panel once with edwin mccain and he said, um, never, you know, never use an imperfect rhyme or a slant rhyme because you're just trying to cheat your listener. I was like, bro, we are not working in the same field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like, uh, I think the opposite almost. I, I, you know, there are great songwriters that that hold to that, but um, I don't, yeah, I feel like, you're, you, you know, like I think I always find a perverse pleasure in making something rhyme. Yeah, you know? forcing it. And even yeah. successful people do it. My daughter is a big Taylor Swift fan and I've yeah. got a sort of Stockholm syndrome now love of her catalog. Yeah. It's pretty it's, great. It's great. There's great stuff for sure. Slant rhymes all day, <laughs> which is great. But I, what yeah. I wonder about, so the podcast kind of came out of that idea. And now these, these conversations that you've been having with people for the podcast have been memories What's the, cause it's funny. You and I now live in a world where people like us are required to make a podcast, right? <laughs> and then the only question is what is your podcast going to be? And how did you settle on this? Well, I wanted to keep talking. It was basically to keep talking about um, memory, you know, memory, the idea of like, cause you know, I, I, and, and I, you know, there was a self-serving thing of like, like, let's keep, let's keep these themes alive because this is what I talked about on my record and, and I'm not touring until the fall. on it. So let's talk about it all summer. You know, um, there's, that's the, uh, the cynical way of thinking about it, but it was also just like, how do these things end up in your work, in people's work, you know, how do their lives end up in their work? Cause I think there's varying degrees, you know, um, some people are confessional. Um, some people, uh, some people, you know, take years to process something. 
and 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 it ends up there some people like you know are reporting like the news you know like like that happened last night i've got a song about it this morning and um and and i i think that there's just a fascinating thing about that and also like i i just sort of i love the I, i'm always kind of trying to find something um that people remembered incorrectly um because i think that's the most interesting one of the one of the influences the genesis of the podcast or the thing i keep coming back to is david carr's book night of the gun and that is um has a very great um moment in it where he investigates his past he was an addict he goes you know becomes a very successful journalist cleans up and becomes um and goes back and sort of investigates his past in minneapolis and there's one particular thing where he was chased away by a friend with a gun and he goes back and talks to that guy and says remember you know remember that night you came down the stairs with a gun and the friend's like yeah that story you just told that happened almost exactly like you said except you had the gun and and there it is you know that's that's like like we build these um stories and sometimes if our memory gets a little off we can build these narratives and you know the stories we tell ourselves can be off and those can be led to our own like self-identity you know and and um that's really fascinating to me and that's like one of the things i wanted to uh wanted to uh go into the the, the title of the podcast that's how i remember it comes from a song on the record called never any horses and that's uh a song about you know the one guy remembers this party where he goes up upstate somewhere and there's horses and stables and um you know uh and and servants and they have this great party and he calls this girl it's years later and she's like no 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 um we went up to my cousins and she had some like oral surgery and she shared her pain medication with us and we watched we watched westerns in a gatsby movie and uh you know so <laughs> you know there's 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 two different versions of the story you know oh and my God. uh and uh, and that was kind of like what i wanted to get at with this podcast I love that. Boy, I, at the risk of um, too much uh, literature discussion, I just yesterday finished the new Jennifer Egan. Uh-huh. I haven't can, read it. The Candy House. I mean, I think it just came out and it's it's all about the idea of memory. Uh, and it's it's, it's like um, Infinite Jest. It's sort of a, a skewed near future where there's um, externalized memories and then there's people that are opposed to the idea of that because you know imperfect memories are the only real memories it's really really beautiful it's one of those you want it to go on when it ends you wish it was 10 times as long as it is that is uh you know i've got some uh got some vacation on the on the horizon i'll try to get that for that um yeah um it it, someone else was saying uh, a friend of mine was also talking about this and saying like there's another theory of like when every time you grab onto a memory, you alter it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's pretty fascinating. One of the things where like that I've really liked talking about in the podcast is uh, is the idea of um, like summer album, fall album, you know, winter. Like what what is what what you you know? Do you have stuff in your collection? I guess it works for movies, but really, records seems to be the one that like you only listen to it a certain season and that's how you remember it. And um, fall albums are really, um, I get like that. I very much understand that there's a certain 
it's my favorite season, but there's also a certain melancholy or something that, that um, I think a lot of fall albums and a lot of like, you know, um, college rock from the eighties that I um, adore um, comes from, becomes fall records. Uh, certainly the replacements, let it be in Tim, uh, REM, Life's Rich Pageant, Document, uh, Reckoning for me is a fall album. It came up with Patterson Hood. He says that's a spring album. It came out in spring, but he's right. But um, <laughs> but I heard it in the fall for the first time, you know? So there's this imprinting. Um, do you have those? Do you have any like? I wouldn't have thought of it, but as you're saying it, I'm trying to catalog what would like for, you know, what would um, Life's Rich Pageant be for me? And I think it would for me also be a fall album because it was very much a uh, do you remember when record players would have an arm where you could trick the record player into thinking that there was a, a, a subsequent album about to drop and they would keep playing the same side of the LP over yeah. and over? So yeah, I would yeah. sleep with Life's Rich Pageant, like side two, playing on repeat, and I'd wake up in the morning and I would have listened to it however many times. With 13. Well, here's it. You grew up in Texas, right? Yeah. Do you have, do you, I mean, do you, I don't even, do, is fall a, uh, <laughs> much of a thing? It, fall is more than even winter because fall is the beginning of the cowboy season. Fall mm -hmm. is the beginning of school, my birthday, you know, like, so for me, fall yeah. felt like a thing, despite the lack of any <laughs> signals coming from mother nature. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other, I mean, the other thing that I think is interesting is we start to talk about these, you know, uh, fall albums, spring album. And, and again, with reckoning with what Patterson said, I think um, like points of entry, are more important than I think as music fans, I think than a lot of us let on, you know, it's like, um, it's hard to not love that first record you heard of a band the most. And you can try to be critical. Like, I don't, I think that's their strongest, but it's just like, you know, REM reckoning is the first one I loved and it's going to be hard for them to top that even with an amazing career that follows, you know? Yeah. And um, if I'm being honest with myself, and then there's also records that like, uh, and this is another kind of conversation we, we I had, is that um, the records you remember coming out, like, you know, getting at the store or, you know, the day they came out or sometime around it and having a real firm memory of your first listen. And, you know, I have that with like, Check Your Head by the Beastie Boys. I have that with most replacements records, uh, starting with Let It Be. But then there's also records like, you know, Doolittle by Pixies that um, I love, one of my favorite records, but like it just always seemed to be there. And I probably heard it in the little bits uh, until eventually I got my own copy. But like it, it's it's not there wasn't like a eureka moment. It just sort of seeped in my consciousness. Um, so I remember very clearly you and I doing a photo shoot for Esquire out in Joshua Tree and we were yeah. in in in. Uh, I guess they put us up in cabins maybe uh, yeah. by Pappy and Harriet's. And um, I remember walking over to your cabin and you were working on a song and, and I sort of waited for you to finish the, the part of the song that you were working on and seeing you at the desk there with like the one lamp glowing and, <laughs> and you were like furtively scratching words and scratching out words. And, and you looked to me more like at that moment, more like, um, you know, like a poet or a novelist than a songwriter. You know, you weren't sitting there cranking out, you know, chords running through like like I'll, I'll play through a chord progression on a loop for six hours, much to the chagrin of anyone around me. <laughs> but 
But to me, you looked like someone who was writing prose, maybe, or poetry. Mm -hmm. And so, and when I, when I think of your catalog, I think of, of words, just this mountain of, of words, like, and I, and I really, you know, I love, I love the way you write, but I feel, I feel like it makes me think of um, a different kind of writer, like a novelist, maybe, or a short story writer. But I wonder for you, when you started, did you always know it was going to be music? Did you think that there would be other some other discipline that you might find yourself falling into? Was there, uh, as you just said before, was there a eureka moment for you where you were like, okay, this is my whole life is going to be writing songs? I I um I always loved songs and I loved the words of songs, right? You know, and I loved especially songs that told a story. So like those were exciting for me. Um, so I thought I was going to write songs. Um, I guess I thought um, at one point, probably when I was, especially in young and in high school, that like being um, the music part was going to be more of what I did. And like, uh, and then also, but then we started the band, you know, started playing in bands. And uh, especially when I got out of college and started playing Lifter Puller, it became like, people were like, those are, you know, those were, people were reacting to the words. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe this is what I do better. You know, like maybe this is, you know, maybe what I should do is, is really work on this and then get people around me that can play, you know, well. And um, that's always been my process. You know what you're talking about? Like, like I will, you know, I, I will come up with very simple chords and be like, okay, I can sort of remember those in my head and I can just start writing and writing and writing and writing. And, um, you know, but on, as far as the other disciplines, I guess if you would have asked me 10 years ago or even 15 years ago, I would have said like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do some other stuff, you know? And, and so far I've only done a little other stuff. Um, I wish, um, you know, I mean the, the trite answer, but it's kind of true is that like, you know, people are like, do you want, what about a novel? I'm like, when I think of a story, it turns into a song and you know um, there also is the thing of, I, I am a pretty social person. I wouldn't have said that. I think I was more brooding when I was young and now I'm not. And like, I like being around friends and people and, and having, you know, things to bounce people to bounce things off of. And I have a blast collaborating. And um, I think that leads into it that uh, at the times I've tried to write longer prose, it's very solitary and it's very, um, there's something that becomes slightly unsatisfying about spending the time that way. Um, or just, I get restless and I'm like, <laughs> uh, and there's, you know, a song is, it's, it's not immediate, immediate, but you can get it done pretty quick and show it to your friends, you know? Um, and that's, that's cool to me. <laughs> Do when you've tried to sit down, cause it sounds like you've, I mean, you've done some, you've done some writing, some, some, yeah. some prose when you sit down to do it and you're confronted with that, the silence um do you wind up sort of getting bombarded by the voices in your head stay in your lane this isn't what you're good at i, I wonder i don't to necessarily have that i do i mean i have i i i don't necessarily have that i just get you know it's the modern stuff like you know you start to check your email like you know like like um there's that um but i do think like in I have really reached a point in my, you know, in middle age that, that like, I do have a process that um, 
where I can let go of that. Like, this isn't good. You're always going to, I think everyone always has some of that, but like, if you like literally fill up a page and then put it away and then come back in two weeks, it's usually better than you expected, or at least there's worthy stuff. I mean, um, so I, I have become like a, an editor, a very much of an editor. And I think that uh, one of the tricks is to keep coming up with stuff to edit. It's funny. I, I heard a story about Matt from the National doing a thing where he would record. He'd have like a basic uh, demo of the music and he would just then mumble sing over it um, like a hundred times recording every take. And then his wow. wife, I think partner would go through and listen to it and find the good words and make notes and then give him like, these are your best lyrics, put those together. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, do you, I've done that. I mean, I'm com- like, like in the whole study, I'm mainly, most of the time those guys are giving me music yeah, and yeah. I'm coming up with the words. So I do that mumble. Like uh, I remember there was like a, a song that we created in the studio. It's called both crosses and it's from stay positive. And I remember Ron saying like, that was wild. I just watched you mumble, mumble that way into a song, you know? Um, and I can, I, uh, that is one, of, especially if someone's giving me music, that is yeah. a part of the process. And I'll sit here at my desk, this desk and, just mumble my way until like, you, you know, you, it starts to form a shape. And then, and then, you know, when you get enough of those mumbles, you can kind of turn off the music and sort of fill it in, you know, yeah. like crossword puzzle or something. But that was, and that's the, uh, that's the Michael Stipe way too, right? Like they, they would always have a desk set up in the studio with a typewriter on it and space around it on all sides so that he could just pace in a circle around the desk, occasionally stopping well, and Joe Strummer uh, had uh, what he called the spliff bunker, where he, you know, had the, I think it was like maybe under a piano, but under something where they had blankets set up and he would go into there like a fort, <laughs> as I uh, understand it, and uh, type on a typewriter. Um, and that's crazy, you know, I mean, like that's, those are albums that we all still love and, and, uh, and the idea that, you know, he was just going into a fort and creating it in the studio you know like i i don't there there are occasions where i'm coming up with stuff in the studio but i'd I'd be pretty anxious if i came in with if if the tape was running and i had nothing you know i know i I wonder if it was a different time because they had maybe more time in the studio and more just money for sure making a record was probably started with going into the studio and yeah there was more money for sure you know so people are buying these records for that days. <laughs> um, so you don't seem like you to me, like you're racked by anxiety, you know, and you talk about having come up with a a, a way of um, working where you can kind of take your time and revisit stuff and kind of recognize the quality of it after after a week or two of stepping away from it. But I wonder, like, as you're confronted by those internally generated obstacles, those voices in your head or the things that come up a lot are like, you know, obviously just self-doubt and anxiety, but imposter syndrome. Roseanne Cash brought up in one of my, in my very first wheels off, she talked about success guilt, you know, having guilt yeah. over having achieved success when other people you consider more talented or whatever haven't. I wonder when you run up against those internally generated obstacles, what do you, what tricks have you figured out to get through that? Um, 
Well, I mean, I think one thing is like, um, it's just, I mean, for one, it's just working, like, like, just like pushing forward, you know, like, like keep working. Um, but I, I will say that like over the past, I don't know, since about 2014, say Josh Kaufman has produced pretty much everything I've done. And he is, you know, uh, an amazing person as well as an amazing musician and producer. And I'll get to somewhere and I'll show it to him. And he'll be like, that's great. Do more of that, you know? And it's very pretty immediate and, and simple advice that oftentimes is very, very helpful and is made for some great songs that I feel really proud of that, that I was, you know, stuck or um, heeded his very simple advice. And, um, and I think that that, that's, that's very, that's been very helpful. He's been, he's got a great mind and a great way of communicating um, that, that makes things better quickly. And, uh, and one of the things he did, for instance, was um, in the first couple records we made, he was always like, yeah, throw out that first verse, start in the middle of the story. And because I think he was saying, you're setting it up too much. You know, you don't have to say like there once was a man, you know, like, like <laughs> not that I did exactly that, but that's the, you know, you don't have to intro everything. And now I go there right away. Like I find myself writing there once. With, no, don't need that. You know, um, so there's an internal editing that's built in now. Um, and that's that's helpful. But, you know, I don't I don't I think like some of the stuff like when we talk about anxiety, I think I work pretty hard um, with things like exercise, uh, outdoor time, um, walking is a big one for me. Um, just I don't wallow. I, I, I make sure to try to I, I work to dispel anxiety and depression from my life. I work pretty much every day on something. I love that. And I mean, probably living in Brooklyn, it's it's a constant battle to find you know, some, I mean, not that Brooklyn isn't beautiful, but it can right, be no. crowded and concrete. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to Alaska next week. So that'll, that'll nice. Help, but, uh, um, but yeah, no, I mean, you, you find, but you know, like starting the day with a short run is like a great thing. Like, like that, that, that helps, you know, um, not drinking as much as they used to, you know, that helps. Um, like, uh, and I, you know, I also just keeping things a little uh, uh, light as far as, um, look, I don't have kids. Um, some of my responsibilities are probably, um, I, I've cleared the way to make, to be a creative person, I think, in my life. Um, and I think that that in some ways helps, you know. Um, there are not, I, I don't, I haven't taken on a lot of external pressures um, my dog needs to be walked a few times a day, but you know, um, uh, I've kept it pretty light and, and, and really built my life around, around creating things. I love that. Um, so, okay. If you were to distill some of this wisdom you've been sharing with the listeners, uh, running into a 21 year old version of Craig Finn, but in 2022 today's world, what advice might you give yourself? You know, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I would have uh, I really looked for to surround yourself with creative people. I think, you know, New York, I moved to New York when I was like 28. And 
and that it was good for me. You know, I think I would have done that maybe right out of college if I was to do it all over again, even though I love Minneapolis, it just sort of, uh, I found, you know, um, no regrets, but at the same time, I think that would have been, I would have gone to, uh, right into a bigger city. Um, here's the one thing that I've thought about a lot is, you know, coming from punk rock and indie rock, um, there, I think I downplayed the idea of being a musician. Um, and I think, well, you know, you just need to know three chords and, you know, the truth or whatever. And it's like, that's true on one level. And it can help you make a great record when you're 22. But if you're 30 years later, when you're 52, you know, it can be really limiting and um, to only know three chords. And so, and you get in situations where, you know, you're moving around like we do and you're like, okay, either I can like do a whole bunch of rehearsals or I can use really good musicians. And you see like, oh, okay, the guys who can really communicate <laughs> and, you know, not be like wildly thrown off if you transpose a song, transpose the key or, you know, things like, you know, okay, we're going to do the bridge half as long this time. Let's do it. And all of a sudden you got to take, that's helpful. Um, and cause you know, when you're my age, you don't want to spend your whole life in a terrible rehearsal space. Um, so I think that I would have tried a little harder on the music stuff. Um, I, I I'm actually like, I'll turn my, like I I've been like, got to, you know, like working on my piano and stuff. Um, because that that's helpful like to visualize stuff and I, I am trying to get better. Um, but I guess I would have, I guess I wish I would have, um, put a more of a value on that, um, as a, someone coming out of like, you know, punk rock and indie rock and, 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 and been, I guess in, in, tied into that, just been like, like, like not been suspicious of ambition. Um, because I think ambition is very attractive to me now, but you know, when you're young, it's like, oh yeah, man, those guys are, they're trying, you know? And, and I think there's something there. My, I have two teenage kids and, <laughs> and there's an entire encyclopedia of insane shit that kids nowadays, kids nowadays say, but one of their big expressions is try hard. Like it's such a put down, like, um, you know, like well, if you try. Yeah. 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 Like, like what you think about Josh? Josh, that kid's a tryhard man. He spent all weekend, you know, studying for the regents or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's like, that's funny because I didn't know that because I, I always thought like we got over that, but that's like, you know, 90s. I think the thing like I, 90s are not culturally like my favorite decade, you know, like, I, like I don't love a lot of the music and, <laughs> and I don't like, I look back that like whatever sort of slacker thing, like it, it, to me, it didn't age well. I also was in my twenties and twenties are hard, you know? And I, I like, I was in a band that, that I was beloved locally, but wasn't in like experiencing tons of success. So I think well, the nineties are kind of a blur to me, but also I just remember a lot of whatever, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and uh, slacker stuff that like, I don't think is that like that, that's not, that's, I don't think that's a great way to live. I think I, I would like to be a try hard. Well, clearly you're trying to teach yourself piano in your fifties. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> oh man, Craig, this is so great. I, I'm so glad I, I got to pick your brain. I really admire the way you approach this crazy job of ours. And I'm excited. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but I have a feeling that um, digging into yours will be good for me. I might steal yeah, some tricks. There's, there's some there's some really good guests coming up. So, uh, you know, I think there's some stuff to dig into and it's been, it's been really fun. Um, and people seem to like it, you know, um, uh, I, uh, I've enjoyed it. So thank you. I hope our paths cross in real life soon and um, take care my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to wheels off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Cyrus. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.